As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 9. Now, when we last left Jesus and his 12 disciples, Jesus was in the process of basically decimating the 12 disciples' view of what the Messiah was to be. You see, the 12 disciples had this idea of a trophy Messiah, that God would send his anointed one, that he would heal the sick, that he would pass out worthers, that he would eventually gather an army, that he would conquer Rome, that he would sit on the throne of King David, and he and the Jewish people would rule the world. And Jesus had just unveiled to them that he did not intend to be a trophy Messiah. Instead, Jesus' intention was to be a suffering Messiah and that he would ultimately anger the religious leaders with his message. He would be betrayed. He would be crucified. He would die as an atonement for our sins. He would conquer death on the third day through his resurrection, and that his ultimate kingdom was to transform our soul, and that through transforming the soul, he could transform the life. So this was a new radical idea to the disciples. Now, the disciples had left everything that they knew. They had left their jobs, they had left their families, they had gone all in to follow Jesus because they thought there was something in it for them. And Jesus needed to attack that line of thinking. Understand this, a disciple does not follow Jesus to receive glory from God. A disciple follows Jesus to bring glory to God. And so Jesus begins to paint a picture for us as to what it means to follow him, what it means to be his disciple. Look with me in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. The Bible says, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up the cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Now, Jesus starts with a basic question. If anyone wants to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, it's a question that he is throwing out there to the men. Men, do you want to follow me? Around my house, whenever I need to go to the grocery store or go to Home Depot, sometimes I'll walk into the living room and I'll find just a mass of children lying around in the living room. And so I'll, I'll ask, does anyone want to come with me? Sometimes they look up at me and basically say, nah, we're good. Go ahead. Sometimes uh, a negotiation proceeds. My daughter McKenna, I've told you, she's the family negotiator. And so she'll look, at, look up at me and go, well, it depends. On what, McKenna? Depends on where you're going. And will you stop by and get me a hamburger on the way home? You know, she wants to kind of know the situation before she says she's all in. And then there's times where they're just bored. I say, hey, I'm going someplace. They're like, yes, let's go. And then, you know, they, they, they immediately, you know, no, nothing happens in my house immediately, but they eventually get their shoes and they make it, they find them and all this kind of stuff, and they make it out to the car and they hop in the car. And sometimes I think as they are jumping in the car, 
They have no clue what they're getting into. <laughs> they don't have a driver's license. They don't have a phone. They don't have money. When they jump in that car, they are totally dependent upon me. Wherever I take them, that's where they're going. But what they know is this. They know they're in the car with Dad. They know Dad loves them. And so they want to be with Dad. And wherever I'm taking them, they're okay with that. You see, the call of salvation is a call to get in the car, so to speak, with Jesus. We get in the car with Christ. It's not a negotiation. It's an all-in commitment. We go where Jesus takes us. He is the one that is in charge. He's the one that knows where the path of your life is going to go. But what you know is that you are in the car with the Father. And if you're where the Father is, you're okay. Discipleship around here is a big deal. Why is discipleship a big deal around here? It's because Jesus made it so. He said that the church was supposed to go and make, do you know the word? Disciples. How long are we supposed to go? Until the end of the age. Where are we supposed to go? To the ends of the earth. Under whose authority do we go and make disciples? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. And so we have a discipleship statement. We exist to lead people to worship, grow in, and serve God through lives changed by the power of the gospel. And there are two theological statements within that statement that give guidance to our discipleship around here. First of all, people matter to God. We exist to lead people. Because people matter to God, they ought also to matter to us. Every single person in this room matters to God. Your neighbors matter to God. And that's why a large part of our DNA as a church is mission activity. It's why we have large financial contributions to uh, missions so that we can send missionaries around the world. It's why we have missionaries from within our own church that go out to share the gospel. It's why we have uh, different preaching points that will be taking place throughout the day that go cross-cultural and sometimes cross-language in order to share the gospel with other people. Why? Because people matter to God, and because people matter to God, they need to matter to us as well. And we believe that every man, woman, boy, and girl should hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's also a second theological truth that brings us guidance, and that is that lives are changed through the power of the gospel. You see, Jesus changes the human heart. He is not about behavior modification. He's about heart transformation. And behavior changes when the heart is transformed. And it is the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, that truly changes the heart of humankind. That is why we preach the gospel. That is why we teach the gospel. That is why we seek to model it in everything that we do. Because the gospel is what changes people. That is what we bring. And so we believe that a disciple should worship. Now, worship is a large umbrella-type term in theological world. It involves a lot of different things. It involves uh, what we're doing right now, gathering for corporate worship. We sometimes call worship the singing, whenever we sing praises to God. But the initial act of worship is your salvation, whenever you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
Worship also involves your prayer time. Whenever you bow before the Heavenly Father and you talk to Him on a daily basis, it's an act of worship. Ultimately, a disciple should understand worship as alignment. Rather than you playing God in your life, every area of your life is brought under the alignment of the Holy Spirit, under the alignment of God and His truth, and you seek to bring Him glory in all that you do because, as a disciple, you worship. But we also believe that disciples should grow. We want you growing in your understanding of Scripture. That's why every sermon that I preach begins with, Open Your Bibles. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that God has revealed Himself to us through His Scriptures. And so we want to grow in our knowledge of Scriptures so that we understand God better, but we also want you growing in relationships with other people. We want you and your life groups to study the Word of God and also develop friendships. I call them 2 a.m. friends, people that will walk the journey with you, people that will be there for you whenever life gets really difficult. We are not just a church that gathers in a room and then goes and lives our separate lives, but we are a church family that is growing up in Christ and growing together. And what God is doing within us should overflow the boundaries of our lives so that we become not just worshipers who are growing, but we are also serving. A disciple serves. I encourage everyone, from the youngest among us to the oldest among us, to find some area in your life where you go beyond yourself and you serve. You say, I do this and I do it for God. This is service to my Lord. That's what a disciple does. It's not an optional exercise in the Christian life. Service is part of the DNA of what it means to be a disciple. Now, we want you serving in a way that is consistent with the call of God on your life and the way that He has designed you. I sometimes joke about the grumpy greeter who doesn't like people, but he decided to serve as a greeter. If you don't like people, don't sign up for the greeting ministry. Nobody likes a grumpy greeter. Hey, welcome to church. Sermon's boring. You better get some coffee today. You know, we don't want a grumpy greeter, okay? But you want to find an area where you are wired and serve God faithfully. Why? Because a disciple serves. And then fourthly, a disciple lives. Our faith is not just mental assent. It's not just what you know, but faith should always land in action. It should always land in our lives. And so we as disciples desire to have a life that reflects Christ and draws people to the cross of Christ. A disciple lives. We want to live life together. We want to care about one another. We also want to live our life in such a way that we reflect Christ to the world around us. There are a lot of toxic expressions of Christianity out there today. Expressions of Christianity that ultimately push people away from the cross. I think Christianity ought to have a contagious joy with it. And I think people ought to be able to see the way that we live our lives and it should draw them to the message of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple does. A disciple uh, worships, grows, serves, and lives their faith out. You say, well, that's great, Lash. I want to be a disciple. Sign me up for that. But how? How do I do this? Is there a YouTube video on it? Can I go to a two-day seminar and... Learn how to be a disciple? Well, actually, often that's what we've tried to do in church. 
We've tried to tell people, hey, if you just take these classes, then on the other side of the classes, boom, you'll be a disciple. If you just show up here every Sunday and hang out, then hang out long enough and boom, you'll be a disciple and we'll promote you. Perhaps, though, we should look at Jesus' picture of what a disciple is. So look with me at verse 23 of Luke chapter 9. He says, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. In the next verse, Jesus gives us what I call the spiritual principle of addition by subtraction. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. You see, following Christ begins with a subtraction. I deny myself. I deny that I am God. I deny playing the God role. I deny thinking all the time about my rights and what's in it for me. And I lay down myself and instead embrace Christ and what is best for Him. Now, this is opposite of what our culture teaches. Our culture teaches that you are to exalt yourself. Jesus says, though, deny yourself. Culture says that I need to add me, and whatever I think, and whatever my opinion, and whatever my wants are, that's, that's what's most important. Jesus says, no, being a disciple begins with subtracting me. If you look at American culture over the last 60 years, culture has exalted people based on degrees, tribes, and buzz. You go to school, you study, you graduate, and they give you a degree. And within society, whenever you achieve that degree, people begin to see you as an expert. And so it leads to a title. And then you are given a position within society, that degree, and we're taught from the time that we're a little child, you know, go to college, get a good degree, and then eventually you'll have a good place within society. And, and because of that position within society, we say that that degree says to others, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. Now, it doesn't matter whether or not you've ever done anything, but because you have that degree, uh, society will exalt you at some point and say, hey, this person has position listen to me. Then we've also exalted people based on uh, what I call tribes, sociological groupings together. Normally, a a tribe begins with a tribal leader who actually does do something. They have creativity, they have ingenuity, they actually do something, and so because of that, they begin drawing a lot of attention, and then there's a lot of wannabes who join the tribe, and they start copying, and what, what occurs is there's this superficial imagery where they begin to try to dress like the tribe and talk like the tribe and and think like the tribe. And ultimately, there is a collectivity that comes where the tribe says, look at us. We're creative. We are athletic. We're more concerned. And and the tribe begins to exalt, exalt itself. And if you're a member of the tribe, then you say to other people, hey, listen to me because I'm part of this group and we know what we're talking about. We have it all figured out. And the the group voice becomes amplified and they are exalted within society as a tribe. And then there's also those that have uh, 
been exalted due to buzz. Someone creates a following. It could occur in a lot of different ways, but you create a following and you essentially say to people, hey, follow me because I'm making noise. If you look at culture today, we have a lot of celebrities who are famous for doing nothing but being famous. They have essentially learned to create buzz, and because they've created buzz, they are exalted and they feel like they have an amplified voice within society, and in a lot of ways, they do. Now, here's the problem with the way that our culture operates in this way. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. The biggest problem with exalting me is me. You see, if if society, if culture is built on, I have to exalt myself, push myself out there so that everybody knows me, sees me, follows me, then you're going to have a problem because you know me. You know yourself. You know the darkness that's within you. You know your shortcomings. And the further you get into the spotlight, the more your shortcomings will be visible for everybody to see. And that's one of the things that we're having occur within society right now. Uh, Those that, that are exalted the most, we begin to get to know them real well, and we begin to see all their shortcomings. And suddenly their voice becomes muted rather than amplified. Secondly, it's superficial. You can take classes. You can look cool. You can create a buzz. You can fit the part. But that doesn't mean you've ever done anything. That doesn't mean you know anything. Thirdly, it's unsustainable. Eventually, uh, you run out of youth. Your beauty begins to fade. Eventually, there's only so much money. There's only so much energy. You only have so many new ideas before you just start copying other people. And before you know it, you become MC Hammer. And everybody forgets about you. Okay? Sorry. Can't touch this. All right. But Jesus says, yeah, those of the teenagers are like, who? Huh? They're Googling them right now, you know. Jesus says, subtract yourself. Subtract yourself. This goes against what our culture says, but Jesus says life is not about the greatness of you. And so if we want to follow Jesus... We have to let go of this desire that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden to be like God. What was Adam and Eve's sin? It really wasn't eating a piece of fruit. The sin was disobedience to God with the intent of being like God. Deny yourself. You say, okay, if I subtract myself, what do I put in my place? Jesus says, the cross. Look at the passage, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, that's our subtraction, and then take up his cross daily, that's our addition, and follow me. So you say, okay, Lash, let me get this straight. I'm supposed to subtract myself and then add the cross. Yes. Now stick with me. Jesus had all power. He ultimately had all money. He had all fame. But his life mission was not to be a trophy Messiah. His life mission was to be the suffering servant. His life mission was to die on the cross for your sins and mine. His mission in life was to follow the will of the Father. And the will of the Father for his Son was the cross. So if you deny yourself and pick up the cross daily, 
First of all, you are placing your faith in Christ and what He has done for you on the cross. But secondly, you're also picking up your mission. What is it that God has called me to do today? Now, what Jesus did on the cross, you can't do. You can't live a sinless life. You can't die for the sins of humankind. The cross that Jesus died on, you, you can't do what Jesus did because you're human. But what Jesus did on the cross models how to find the life that you and I have always wanted. Because Jesus denied himself, picked up God's divine mission, the cross, and in his death, Jesus became the example of what it looks like to really live. And through his resurrection, Jesus testifies that a life that is lived in faith and obedience to our Heavenly Father never dies. And so he gives us the spiritual principle of addition by subtraction. I subtract myself, I add God's divine mission from my life, and daily I seek to follow Christ. You say, okay, Lash, well, what's my divine mission? Well, ultimately, we can, we can simplify that. Your ultimate divine mission in your life is to bring glory to God in all that you are and all that you do. It's one of the things that I love about the Christian life. It brings a simplicity to every area of life. In every area of life, I deny myself, I pick up my cross, and I seek simply to bring glory to God within this area. So in my parenting, I want to bring glory to God. The way that I treat my wife, I want to bring glory to God. The way that I treat my neighbor, I want to bring glory to God. The attitudes that I harbor, I seek to bring glory to God. And every day, you pick up your cross and you follow Christ. Now, picking up your cross is going to take you into a lot of different arenas. Maybe you're a school teacher. And so every day, you pick up your cross and you go into that classroom. And in that classroom, whenever you teach those children, you're seeking to bring glory to God. The way that you teach, the way that you handle yourself, I want to honor God. You're a businessman, and so whenever you walk into that boardroom, you're a business lady. Whenever you uh, uh, try to sell that product, wherever you go, you seek to bring glory to God in the way that you handle yourself, the attitudes that you harbor. You pick up your cross daily, and you follow Him. Deny yourself. Life is not about the greatness of you. Your life exists to reflect Christ. And you align your life with Him so that you are a worshiper in every area. And rather than trying to play God yourself, you deny yourself that subtraction. You add the cross and you follow Him. Every one of us in this room are ministers. We are one church. I like to say we're one church in 500 locations. Why? Because everywhere you go, that's where the church goes. And we pick up our cross and we follow Him. And we seek to bring glory to him. The story ends with two men. The first man thought he was living large. He lived his life in a way that he made a lot of money. And he was able to climb to the top of the ladder. And as he did, he ran over a lot of people. He didn't care what he said. He didn't care who he hurt. But he made it to the top. And everybody knew who he was. And his name was well known. 
Eventually, he began to look at his life, and he thought to himself, you know, something's missing. Perhaps it's time for me to settle down a little bit and get married. And so he found a lady, and he decided he was going to marry her, but he went into that marriage with this attitude. She's not going to change me at all. I'm going to keep living the life that I was living. I'm going to be the person that I am. And she's just going to kind of come alongside me and bring some stability and some intimacy to my life. But I'm still just the person that I always was, and hopefully she'll add to my life. Well, that idea of marriage didn't really go very well. And so a few years in, they started having a few problems within their marriage. And they thought, what we need to do is we need to have children. Because once we have children, that'll solve all the problems. And so they had some children. And they discovered that the children did not fill in all the holes within their life. They thought to themselves, if I can just have children, that'll fill in all the gaps, and then I'll have the life that I really want, and then then my life will be completely fulfilled. And so that didn't happen, and eventually the marriage began to crumble, and they found themselves divorced. Oh, he tried to be a good father for a while, but eventually the children kind of lost contact with them, and they went on with their life. And he lived all of his days, and he lived life on his own terms. He was his own man. He was successful. People knew his name. And then one day he looked in the mirror and realized he was growing old. It wasn't long after that he began to grow ill. His health faded and he died. Jesus described this man in verse 25. He said, what is a man benefited if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Now, there's a second man in the story. This man learned to subtract himself. He learned that life was not all about him, and he learned to deny himself, and instead, he trusted in Christ. He trusted in Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he sought to follow him in every area of his life. And so this man, every day, picked up his cross. He sought to be the person that God had called him to be every day. No matter where the cross took him, he sought one thing, to bring glory to God. Some days, the cross led him to change diapers or cook meals. Other days, the cross took him to the boardroom where he tried to sell ideas. Sometimes, the cross took him away from home. It took him through studies. It took him through sacrifices. Some days, picking up the cross and following meant that he would spend time laughing with the people that he loved. But every day, he tried to do one simple thing, pick up the cross and follow. And in denying himself and following Christ, he soon began to discover the joy of life that he always sought. And the Holy Spirit began to unlock for him the three great mysteries of life that have perplexed people for centuries. Faith, hope, and love. Day by day, the man denied himself, followed Christ. And the more that he did, the more he found that deep sense of joy that he truly longed for. And the more life made sense to him. Jesus talks about this man in verse 24. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. 
Did you know that your life doesn't belong to you? It belongs to your heavenly father. And just as your heavenly father laid down his life for you through his son, he calls you to subtract yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. As I was preparing this message, I, I found myself get into a little bit of a poetic mode. And so I, I wrote this. I want to share it with you as I finish this morning. It's called, Which Man Will I Be? I often wonder, which man will I be? I know the man I want to be, but that man suffers from the disease of me. So perhaps... Which man will I be is not the right question at all. Perhaps the real question is, what cross shall I bear? In each day, with each circumstance, I follow Christ. The question of me yields to the direction of him. For in the end, it is God who determines which man I will be. To find me, I must lose me. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads as musicians come? They're going to lead us in our time of worship. Before they do, I want us to lead in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you. And we thank you for this gift that we call life. Father, we live in a world that says it's all about me. And tries to convince us that we will find deep joy by being self-absorbed and exalting ourselves. And Lord, today that secular philosophy collides with the truth of your word of God, with your word, which says deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow you. Lord, I pray that that's what we'll do. Lord, I know that in the room today, there are some people with big hearts, people that have desires, people that have dreams, people that have hopes. And Lord, a lot of us are just doing the best we can each and every day. And in a lot of our lives, there's also a lot of frustration and wonderment. What's this all about? How can I be who I want to be? So, Father, I pray today that you will help us to see things from a whole new perspective. Instead of asking who do I want to be and what can I be, Lord, may we say it's not about me. May we deny ourselves, pick up the cross that you have for us, whatever that might be, wherever it might take us. And may we seek one thing in our life, and that is to follow Christ with everything in our life. So that we become the people that you want us to be. And that we reflect you clearly to the world around us. And Father, I pray that you might give, that you might give a gift to this church today. I pray that as we deny ourselves and pick up our cross, that you will unlock the joy that you desire for us and that we will discover that whenever we lose our life we save our life and we will discover the wonderful joy that comes from a love that gets beyond ourselves and truly cares about you and cares about the people in our life and the people in our world 
Help us, Lord, to to live for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.